Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and for this episode, we are continuing to mix it up by talking about a new, though perhaps not foreign, topic to pairing, gaming and Dungeons and Dragons. I was joined by Eric Silver of Multitude Productions, Horse, and Join the Party, a D&D podcast. Eric is a seasoned gamer and the host and dungeon master of Join the Party, which I highly recommend if you don't already listen to it. Like with Join the Party, you will enjoy this episode whether you're a D&D pro or you've never played the game before. I had a great time talking with Eric about diversity and accessibility in both the gaming and wine worlds, and also just about the different facets of storytelling and rule-breaking. So if those things sound interesting to you, you will love this episode. Okay, we've got a bunch of exciting announcements this week. First, in case you haven't seen it, we've got merch! We are so excited to have our logo, designed by the brilliant Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey, up on t-shirts, tote bags, pillows, phone cases, stickers, and more. I'm working with Katie on getting a few more designs on our store, but for now, definitely check it out at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. I'll link it in the show notes. In honor of our merch and our upcoming Patreon anniversary, we're going to be running a few specials in March. If you join us now through March 31st at the $3 or up level, you will get a free sticker. And if you join us as a producer at the $15 or up level, you will get a free t-shirt. Don't you want to show the world how much you love stories, cats, and wine? Do not snooze on this deal. Speaking of Patreon, we are thrilled to welcome our friends at the Beacon Podcast to our team. It is so humbling to have the support of other creators, and if you haven't yet, go check out The Beacon Pod. If you like D&D and fantasy, you will surely love The Beacon. Also, a huge thank you to Emma Cohen, whom you may remember from the Sorcerer's Stone episodes, who upped her pledge to become a producer. I swear she didn't even know that she would get a free t-shirt! She'll also get access to this month's bonus episode, which delves into the intricacies of wine bottle shapes and sizes. Thank you to Emma, whom even Eric would like if she were a bard, and to our advanced producer, Mara Zobrist, who is way cooler than any ranger I know. Even if you don't join us this month on the Patreon, we have added merch as rewards to several of our tiers, so definitely come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. Also, I have to say that the audio extras for this episode are especially good this week. It will make more sense once you've listened to the episode, but it's Winston reading a piece he wrote based on a board game character defeating Cthulhu, daughter of Cthulhu, and you can listen to it for as little as $3 a month. It's pretty awesome. Last little plug, I have created a Ko-Fi page for myself, so if you'd like to support the show but don't feel able to commit to a monthly donation, you can toss me a few dollars there. I'll also link that in the show notes, and you can check out what else I'm up to. And don't forget, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to your friends. Those are free, but priceless ways to help us out. I also wanted to make a little recommendation based on this week's topic. I just binged the show The Dragon Prince on Netflix, which I absolutely adored. It's an animated series from the creators of Avatar and Korra that is based on many D&D elements. I watched all of it in about three nights, and I'm probably going to rewatch it again tonight while Winston's out of town. It's amazing, it's diverse, it's got dragons. Just watch it. You know you got to binge something after Russian Doll. 
Okay, there's a lot more exciting stuff coming up, so stay tuned, but for now, I'll shut up. Without further ado, here is episode 32, Dungeons and Dragons with Eric Silver. Excited to welcome to pairing Eric Silver, a dungeon master and gamer and podcaster extraordinaire. <laughs> and I am so excited to, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about on pairing for a long time. Even though we were just talking about it, it's not technically like a, an art form in the sense of what we've been talking about before. But lots of people have requested gaming episodes and... And I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. So I am very excited to talk about D&D or Dungeons and & Dragons and some other games with uh, Mr. Silver here. That's me. That's I'm going to talk about every game ever created. Congratulations. Every every game ever. And you're going to have to pair wine with every yeah, single every one. Every single one. All right, let's go. <laughs> so, Eric, for those listening who maybe don't know, maybe give a little background on your experience with D&D and gaming? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, uh, for people who don't know, Dungeons & Dragons is a role-playing game, meaning that uh, there aren't exactly rules and uh, winners and losers and points, but it's more about like telling a story together with your friends that is set within a world that one player, who is the Dungeon Master, uh, kind of sets up the plot of that world. So imagine that uh, the Dungeon Master is writing a novel, and all of the players are characters in the novels, but the characters have agency and can kind of do whatever they want, and the plot has to follow them as they run around. Awesome. So like kind of cooperative storytelling. Yeah. I always think about this in terms of Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Like, imagine if Hermione had agency. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all wish? <laughs> yeah, because there's no way that she would actually do like half the things that J.K. Rowling tells her to do. Right, right, of <laughs> so course. So Ron is like, mm, I hate all of this. And Hermione's like, that's cool. I'm going to go study deuces. And then the <laughs> plot just needs to follow Hermione as she goes, goes around there. Which is the story that we are all begging for. Um, exactly. Harry Potter from Hermione's perspective. That is awesome. <laughs> um, I'm just going to start off real quick with just a little wine thing that... Uh, that I thought of. Oh, please do. Because, so, you know, a lot of people, when I talk to them about wine, they're like, oh, well, I don't know anything about wine. I, I just pick it by the label. And sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I am often guilty of that too. And as I'm sure we'll talk about, often dragons are not actually a part of Dungeons and Dragons or they don't have to be. But I am a huge nerd, and so I love anything with dragons on it. So <laughs> there, is, there are a couple wines that have dragons on the label that I wanted to recommend to people. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, right? So one of my absolute favorites is actually called Dragon, and it's made by one of the like most prestigious producers in Piedmont, which is in northwest Italy. Um, that's where, if you've heard of like Barolo and Barbaresco, that's where they come from. But this one is a white wine, and it's a blend. And so they call it a Lange Bianco, and it's called Dragon. Ooh. And it 
the winemaker is Luigi Baudana, and it does have like a really cool dragon on it. Luigi Baudana is the new character I'm putting in my campaign. Yes, so thank you for that. Yes, made it. <laughs> you just you started talking, and I'm like, I'm gonna put that in that name in my campaign, and that yes, name in my campaign. I love it. I love it. Luigi Baudana is such a great name, right? Yes. So that so that's my first recommendation. My second recommendation is a wine that I was actually drinking, I think, during the third episode of Pairing, where we were talking about Ursula Le Guin. Mm -hmm. And that wine is called Land of Saints, and that's made by Angela Osborne, who's one of my favorite winemakers in California. And so that one's a red wine, and I think that's a blend of Grenache and Syrah. Mm. Um, And so it's a little bit more of like a full-bodied red, but it has a, a really cool dragon and knight on the label which hell yeah yeah i was super excited when we got that in so anyway so that was that was just my i wanted to start off by by uh recommending some dragon wines oh thank you oh absolutely i feel so happy that you told me all these dragons <laughs> oh yeah absolutely everyone needs them in their life this introduction reminded me of two things that i definitely wanted to talk to you about yes um please. both these are two th- two things that are around sommelierying which, uh-huh. I, which is obviously the the word the proper the proper term yes yeah so I think <laughs> the first thing is um do you know about Josh Wines yeah Josh Sellers yeah yeah I do isn't that bananas that that's a name of a wine is <laughs> just Josh yes yeah it's I think the winemaker I think his name isn't Josh I think I think his dad's name is Josh yes and so yes. he named the wine after after that but yeah i i actually really like the the josh sellers wines but yeah it's a it's a very silly name it's like there's a lot of those in california there's also a justin <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's josh justin there's probably a jason first of all that's amazing thank you so much you're so welcome but this is tied into something that i have to do i'm the dungeon master so i'm the one who runs right. the story so i need to come up with names a lot yes and it's funny to me. Naming a wine is a lot like naming like naming a book or naming a movie. Totally. Like you don't want it to be too on the nose, but you also want it to relate to the thing that's happening. And like you kind of want to embody everything so that when people pick up the label or pick up your book or create this character, they know what they're getting into. Totally. But I always find it so funny with Josh Wines, especially because I saw a bunch of commercials for Josh Wines. And I'm like, why would you name your wine Josh? <laughs> It's true. It's very silly. But I lo- I love that like it, it's like on Join the Party which is the D&D podcast that you DM in case anybody listening doesn't know that. It's amazing. You should go listen to that immediately. Jointhepartypod.com, go check it out. Go check it out. Um but that's one of the things I love about it is that like right off the bat you get Alonzo which feels like a very D&D kind of name and then you get mm-hmm. Greg. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's like it's it's awesome. I love how you name the characters and like your process of of doing that i think it's perfect like a perfect blend of classic D and like modern storytelling yeah i think that it's worth thinking well first of all thank you that's very kind of you oh to say. of course yes um yeah i think about how fantasy and our modern world collide in a lot of ways because things that are in fantasy are just 
fantastical because they're allowed, but things in our modern world are fantastical because we're like, what are you doing? This makes absolutely no sense. Right. So it's funny that you say it because Alonzo Kiko is an inverted name of uh, Kiko Alonzo, who is a football player. Oh my God, that's so funny. So like, that's a real name, but Kiko Alonzo is way more buck wild than Alonzo Kiko. <laughs> that's really true. I it love just, that. Just pulling from what we have around us well the, which is also the funny thing about josh wines because mm-hmm. i couldn't believe that it existed and i kept <laughs> i could, thought that like it's i mean obviously yeah he named it after his dad but it's like who is the person that names it josh so i kept making this silly voice for they're like i'm jersh and these are my words <laughs> <laughs> and then i ended up making josh into a character from our live show Oh my god, I love it. So, so he he became like a parks de- he was like the head of the parks department and he because I love making giving myself voices that I find funny. I'm like, "I'm Jersh, you have to save the perks." <laughs> so just the way that other people name also affect how I name like the way that people choose to name things in the modern world affect how I'm going to name this fantasy world right because i want it to be as not even disconcerting but like i the only thing i can think of is fantastical or like fictional or silly because yeah i mean what we find silly here is just going to be as silly when you put it into a fantasy context it's totally totally true the other thing that i wanted to bring up so that's one that's josh wines yes josh <laughs> glad we got that <laughs> the other thing i wanted to bring up is how did you get into wine so much Like, Mm. it seems very antiquated in a way that it makes me think of the way that people used to get into role-playing games. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really great connection. Um, I love that. Thank you. I think that in some ways it's very similar. Well, how I relate my journey through wine and wine education is very similar to my theater education or, you know, what else did I was I really into in college? I was into like Spanish. Um, it's mm. kind of like learning a language or learning. It's a discipline. And to me, it it's like there is so, so much to learn about wine. And it is important to learn about, as you say, kind of the antiquated quote unquote stuff and like sure. learn about the basics, learn about those techniques and learn about how, how wine is made traditionally, how it has been made for thousands of years. But there's a whole lot of young, new winemakers or like people in the wine industry, and they are really trying to keep it fresh and keep it mm-hmm. new. I think that relating that, as you did very expertly, uh, to kind of role-playing games, I think that a lot of people kind of have this idea of D&D that's very similar to an idea of what wine and like getting into wine is. Yeah. Which it's like very niche and very specific when really I think that both are things that if you like get into them a little bit, you learn how accessible they can be and how much fun they can be. Yes. So for me, you know, like I find wine fascinating because it really helps me, it kind of helps me understand the world a little bit better. At the end of the day, like my mantra with wine is, if you enjoy it, then it's good. You Mm. know, tasting wine is totally subjective. You can't say, if someone like tastes a wine and says, oh, I get like strawberries and salt and like metal in here. It's like, 
okay, you get that because you tasted it and you can't be wrong about what you perceive. Sure. I know that's that's just my my role, but I I think that it is a really that's a really great way to kind of equate getting into wine, wine education, etc. with role playing because as you can see from listening or as you can hear from listening to join the party like it is not necessarily what you would think if you think Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Uh yeah, when you're talking about this whole thing nerd culture is like if you took all of the traditions that you believe like it's like you know you walk into Buckingham Palace and there are like a very there's this very specific way you're supposed to greet the queen right but like with nerd culture it's like those things calcify within like six months and then it's like yes this has been our traditions forever right so it's like when you're talking about being a sommelier and you're talking about wine we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years of this tradition or uh, the, the institution or just like the the trade the trade of being the, yeah, a sommelier it's, trade. it's like the industry yeah right yeah. but but D D has been around for only since the 70s but there have been like six editions of it and it keeps changing but then automatically people have like this is what it is this is how it's going to be it will not change yeah so i that's something that i have to think about all of the time i mean i am a straight cis white male who knows pretty much everything, like has a very steady pop culture diet of people who would yep. traditionally enjoy Dungeons & Dragons, but I also want it to be for everyone, which is similar to what I think is like you are a human person who I have met, and you also have this wild, intricate, deep knowledge of wine, and you are coming at it being like, I want to tell. Well, as I'm going to say compared to everybody yeah. else. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, because it's it's mostly about like comparison to like the general population. Yes. Yes, I would like, say. Like you know much, much if there are a hundred people in a room, you probably know the most about wine in a room. It's possible. It's possible. Maybe maybe like one or two other people would know more than I do. Exactly. And that's how I feel about Dungeons and Dragons, but it's like right. it's my job to make people also want to play the game that I'm doing. Because it's crazy because like there are so many things that are like a tradition because it is like a trade or a job and needs to be passed down so that there are experts. But like Dungeons and Dragons is a game and it has just as many barriers and gatekeeping as wine tasting, which Absolutely. blows my mind. And, you know, I don't know enough about kind of the culture of D&D specifically that like brought it to this point where only certain people really get into it. What I think what is so wonderful about what you and the rest of the join the party team are doing is like really making it accessible. And that's a wonderful thing about podcasts. I think is that that's a really great way to like make something accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily go after that or, mm -hmm. you know, look into that. And that's sort of my idea with pairing as well. You know, I wanted to make wine accessible in a way while still like kind of teaching about it and not, not like, I'm not trying to dumb it down or anything, For but sure. I but I am trying to make it interesting in the way that it's interesting to me. Yes. And so I again I see that I see that connection there. So yeah, and I'm I'm curious about what you what you think about like where D and D is now, and maybe you could talk about a little bit how you got into D and D and gaming and uh, stuff like that. I would love to. Yeah, well, that would be so awesome. 
I can start with the how I got into it, and I think this might segue very nicely into media criticism. Because, like, honestly, I do think about this stuff a lot, so I will try to make this as palatable and not, like, niche as possible. So I'll start out with my story, and it turns out that this story is very similar to the way that a lot of other people got into it. Awesome. I knew about Dungeons & Dragons for a while just because I was kind of on the fringe of a lot of, quote, nerdy exploits like i love board games i love video games Mm -hmm. Uh, i was around a bunch of nerdy other people and after a while i wanted to i just wanted to play because i just wanted to participate so at one point i got to play with a bunch of different people who were trying to put together a few games and then uh i started just being a dungeon master because i i well first of all not many people want to do it because it's a lot of undertaking. It's hard. Like, it's really it, it's, hard. It yeah. is. It's difficult, but also like not as difficult as you. Okay, that's the whole other. <laughs> that's a whole other tangent. Well, it's a lot of work. I would say. I think you probably have to put a lot more time into it than if you just play. Yes, you like have to know all the rules, and you also need to build a a story and everything. But I kind of just jumped in feet first because I wanted to do it. Awesome. And also, like, I wanted to be this storyteller. Uh, I used to play this game with my friends called Scenario. Uh-huh. And basically, the game was just like my friends would tell me a scenario, and I would come up with a genre-based story about all of our friends in this scenario. <laughs> I love that. I want to play that game. It's funny because the game is just me telling you a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll still play it. <laughs> it was it's really good and I mean I've known these people for so long that it's like all of my friends occupy like very specific archetypes in my head. Uh-huh. So it got easy for me cuz I could identify it. Um but after a while I just wanted to do this thing and then I started DMing for Julia Shafini and for Amanda McLaughlin and we had this mm-hmm. game going for a little bit just because I wanted to do it and I did make Julia cry uh, out on a story <laughs> that I came up with after like 20 minutes uh, I just want to say that out loud success success <laughs> yeah and then um we put started putting together join the party because there were a lot of things that were lacking in the Dungeons and Dragons space that we thought that we could do better Honestly, yeah, um, I could go. I have a whole other treatise about that. But I think that there were a lot there was a lot to be desired, both from a uh, a story perspective an audio perspective and like an inclusivity perspective. Mm, yeah, which absolutely. I think is tied to a larger idea of nerd culture and who we are allowed to accept and who is allowed to enjoy the things that, that the people who were traditionally beaten down as nerds or geeks uh, shout out to the 80s for cementing that and calcifying that. Woot, so, woot. Yeah, thank you. And that we could uh, we could kind of open it up. And then I started my first actual campaign is one that I decided to put on a microphone, which was a choice. Well, that, that was incredibly brave, and it, but you really made a, a really wonderful thing. And I really think that you're right, that you filled a gap in what was missing. And, and I think that you mentioned inclusivity, and I think that that's a huge part I guess it is a huge kind of problematic issue I see in a lot of nerd culture. So I commend you for that. Listen, I have such complicated feelings about it because it's like on one hand, I'm like, yes, I want everyone to participate. I want everyone to feel like they are a part of this story and I care about it. But honestly, it is – and I've 
talked about this before, but it's like it's easy for me to write diverse characters because mm-hmm. my life is pretty diverse. Like I know right. what it's like to have different types of people as friends and like in my community. So it's like when I started joining the party, I'm like, this should start out as a wedding. Hmm. What if the wedding was two dudes? Cool. And then I just start writing and they're like, all right, these are my main NPCs. And like that. I find that both important and easy, but it's like, oh man, I don't know how, I, did you see my chase mechanics? Like, yo, I spent so long trying to figure out these yeah. chase mechanics. <laughs> so it, it's it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that something that I find easy is also something that I find so important. And I think that there is this, like, there's this massive gap where the the mechanics are the thing, or like the, the, the hardness of the fantasy or the sci-fi is what people lean on so much that they ignore just in the inclusivity. This, this bothers me so much about, um, you know, the name of the wind books. Yes. Yes. Uh, they, or what do they call it? The, the King killer Chronicles. King killer Chronicles. Yeah. So, uh, I read it, um, before and I have some feelings about it. Yeah. So like Patrick Rothfuss is heralded as this like new Tolkien. And like, also because he has like a woman in it, it's like a big deal. Yeah. But there's a part. <laughs> Ooh, a yeah, woman. Oh, shout out Patrick Rothfuss. And like, yeah, he, way he, to he, go. <laughs> he gets to play in all these Dungeons and Dragons games. And like, he's, he's like this font of feminism in the fantasy space. Right. Right. But there's this part in the second book, which bothers me so much. There's a part where Quoth, basically he, he saves this woman from, basically sex slavery she was like kidnapped and i think i remember this yeah i read it a long time ago. yeah she was like kidnapped and by people who were like bards but were bad and he's like of good bards but like the bards are also gypsies and it's like this whole thing it's like super strange so then as he's has he's on horseback and like riding her back to her town she's like i hate everyone so much i hate the men who did this to me Mm-hmm. And another and then immediately Quoth comes back with literally saying not all men are terrible. Ugh. And I'm like, we're just going to ignore the fact that he just says not all men. Like, we're just going to let that one slide, dog. Uh. And the world itself. I mean, I, I think of it as like a beacon of world building. And I know that people love it because it has a very hard idea of economics mm-hmm. and like magic and the way that the world functions, but it's like we're not. I'm not going to ignore the fact that your main character just told a woman who was redeemed out of sex slavery, not all men. Like I'm not going to let that slide. Yeah. So I think I read, I read the second one probably like five years ago or something yeah. like that, and that sort of, sort of before. I mean, not before all this was happening, but kind of before the Me Too movement came to a forefront and so i think that didn't register for me as clearly i think i remember feeling weird about it i was like "Mm, that's a weird thing but it wasn't quite as like on the nose as that sounds Mm -hmm. um i will have to go back and revisit but but yeah i think for patrick rothfuss and and the king killer chronicles there are great things about them but there are very problematic things about them just as in both, I think, gaming and wine culture, there are great things and there are kind of progressive things. And then there are really antiquated, not non-inclusive things. Yeah. I This is a quick sidebar. I got into a, a bit of a row once with one of my coworkers who was a uh, straight cis white man who 
like wanted to tell me what it was like to be a woman in the wine industry and <laughs> and and eventually like his argument was like because i was challenging him and i was be like and i was like you have no idea what it's like to be a woman in the wine industry mm-hmm. and he was like well we'll talk to my mom i was like yikes why Noix. do i want to talk to your mom <laughs> he was like well, because, like, I love her, and she knows that I'm not, you know, she knows I'm a feminist. And I was oh. like, I was like, I don't want to talk to your mom. <laughs> anyway, quick sidebar, quick sidebar on that. Yes, there's a lot of problems in the wine industry with sexism. Racism is a mm. huge one. I don't know. This is one thing that I, I kind of wanted to look into. Like, there are not very many out people or at least like out queer people in the wine industry that i know of but i think there's like i mean like in in kind of restaurant culture sure absolutely but like in terms of winemakers and sommeliers huh i can't think of any which is uh you know kind of problematic very problematic so anyway so that's that's something i think about in the wine industry as well um which is in many ways uh rich white man's club and and it's and it's growing past that and and a lot of people are making strides to like move past that but it's definitely a problem for sure i I, hmm, that's uh i have like so many thoughts about that i know i know (laughs) so i think that i'll I'll try to hold on to two here so the first one is when you're talking about like uh, <laughs> this guy is like trying to prove to you that he is like being a feminist yeah. to you by telling you how your experience is. I'm like, yes. that's how I, I feel sometimes when I am a dungeon master. Like hmm. I'm creating this world and trying to populate it with as many different types of people as possible. Right. But, like I can only truly tell one story. So it's right. like, I feel like I'm doing some amount by putting these people in, but that's when I always like point towards what uh what amanda's doing uh uh-huh. amanda mclaughlin as anara uh who is our our by disaster of oh, a <laughs> rogue assassin yes she's amazing so, she truly is but i i love pointing towards her like autonomous work as a player yeah. because it's by her wanting to be this person that i have been able to like flesh out her world is like well anara has crushes on older women how many older women can i throw at her so that it is extremely funny when she fails all for flirting (laughs) yeah so it's like if i didn't have that character i wouldn't be able to flesh out this world in this way so it's like i want to point towards someone who's her her existence is like the engine that also fuels the amount of representation that i'm i can actively put in my game Right. On one hand. On the other hand, which is, so that's one. The, the other thing is that what you were saying about what who sommeliers are, I think, is also the same. And what it bothers me also about Patrick Rothfuss is that, like, yeah. he occupies only these, like, two archetypes of nerddom, people who are allowed to revel in these things. You have, the I, you have like, the Chris Hardwick on one side and uh-huh. you have the Will Wheaton on the other side. Yep. So yep. they are both straight white men, but, like, Chris Hardwick is the charismatic, like, take no prisoners – this like tear you down nerd on one side right, and then right. will wheaton is this like classic beaten down but still has this community of people surrounding him and so he's allowed to do whatever he wants because he has all of his nerd friends behind him and like 
on one hand, we found out that Chris Hardwick is a terrible person. Yep. And I cannot remember off the top of my head if Will Wheaton is a terrible person. As far as we know, I don't think he is. I don't is. think so. Right. But it's like Patrick Rothfuss can slot into this Will Wheaton archetype and be right. this person. Right. So there's not – I'm not even saying – like not only are there no – occupying spaces for anyone who doesn't look like these people for people of color for queer people for women women or non-binary people there's also like not even that space for that many different type of men yeah which is also also eliminates a lot of the stories that we can tell which is so difficult and my story going into Dungeons and Dragons is traditional like I found it I read all the stuff and I then did it, but it's like a lot of people don't have that story or weren't allowed to get their hands on the books or be enthusiastic about it. Right. Uh, which is related to what you, you were saying about like a sommelier is this person that we have in, in our head who is or this rich, rich white guy who was yeah. able to drink wine for 20 years and like go to Italy whenever he wants. And yeah. it's similar to the person who is allowed to be a propagator of Dungeons and Dragons and like share mm-hmm. it. And then that person is the one who shares it with all of his friends and his friends all look the same like him exactly. and all have like the same ideas. So I always like I always tack on to when I say like I am a straight white white man who is doing this. I'm like I also have a very specific pop culture diet. I'm always yeah. sure to say that that it's like I was allowed to revel in this place because I was allowed to be this person and uh, other people weren't. No, absolutely. And I think that's very responsible of you to to recognize. Yeah, it's difficult to just keep that in mind. But at the same time, it's like, yo, check out these chase mechanics that came up. Right, no. right. Yeah. I was just I was just thinking about it. I was like, mm, I'd like to think that I'm like the Felicia Day of the wine industry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because she's like she is one person who has sort of started entering being recognized as an authority in nerd culture. Mm-hmm. And that is really cool. She, again, you know, like, she is at least a woman, but as far as I know, she's not queer uh, and she's white. And so, like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of privilege there, too. But I, I remember a few years ago, like, Gamergate and all that, like, so horrible, you know, and stuff like that happen. It happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Um, and so I think that, like, projects like Join the Party and people like you in in gaming, like, being very conscious of the content that you're putting into your your games, I think that's really, really important and will eventually help it be more accessible and more inclusive. Yeah, I can only hope so. I mean, thank you. I appreciate that. But Oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. You never know what you're doing. And, I mean, we have as many people who reach out and say this is their first foray into Dungeons & Dragons and they want to start playing and it makes my heart grow three sizes. Um, but you know, you can only do so much. I mean, I just want to teach people so that they'll play the game that I love with me. If someone is open-minded and quick on the draw, like I want them to be a part of my game. So I will do whatever I can to make it grow. That's awesome. Um, just quickly, I, I, I realize I didn't mention, I have a very small amount of experience with D&D. I played um, I was in one campaign in college mm-hmm. and that my my good friend, Sean Richard, shout out, he was the DM and Ariella Rotenberg, who is also on Wolf 359, she was also in the campaign. Nice, nice. Which was super fun, as well as a couple other of our friends. And I played a uh, druid elf, which is 
you know, like the most me thing uh, <laughs> that I can think of. And afterwards, and again, like listening to join the party has really inspired me to want to get back into D and D and play again, because it's so fun and really has opened my mind up to what like the game can be. And, and, you know, I was playing like over 10 years ago. So I think that it has evolved a great deal since I was playing. Absolutely. And do you have any thoughts on that and how the game has evolved? Yeah, I think that uh, fifth edition is, mm-hmm. which is the current one that people are playing and Wizards of the Coast are selling right now. Uh-huh. Um, it has really opened the door for role playing, and Dungeons Dragons has moved a little bit away from its roots as a. You know, it used to be a war playing game. Like yeah. Gary Gygax was super into like you know, moving soldiers, like recreating the Civil War, like with little um, figurines and miniatures. Um, and that's re- originally where D&D came from. But now it's become this like storytelling tool. And I think that it's become a lot more flexible. I mean, you were playing 3-5, which is yeah. pretty much like, did you have like a board? Like a, a... I think we did. Yeah, I think yeah. we did. So being able to tell tell that story without needing a miniature without needing a board and being it all like in your mind it allows a lot more flexibility and you can get out of a situation or a conflict however you want which honestly for someone who's on a a podcast a storytelling podcast very good for me yeah i think it would be tough if you were like playing on a board and it's like you can move six spaces like that would be a little a little more challenging and Mm -hmm. harder to translate into an audio medium oh for sure absolutely I DM differently as someone who's on the podcast as I would if I was running a game for you. Sure. Because I can be silly. I can do things like explain things easier, like by doing them in person. I can draw pictures. Uh, Mm -hmm. But for DMing on a podcast is like I need to make sure that everyone can envision what's happening, both my players and the audience, or that it doesn't work. Um, I think a really interesting way to think about Dungeons and Dragons and the way that it's grown. I talked to uh, this woman, uh, Lauren Blanco, who runs my friendly local uh, game store at his 20-sided store in Brooklyn, New York. If you use Join the Party, you can get 20% off. One. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, go, go check it out. out. Go check it out. So I, talk, <laughs> I talked to her for an interview. I asked her why 5th edition is so much feels so much different than uh, 3.5 or 4. And she said that um, Dungeons and Dragons is like a tree. And mm-hmm. it first started out as uh, as a sapling that Gary Gygax planted it into the front of his house. And then over the last 30 years, it has grown and grown and grown. And now with fourth edition, which was like very much like board game and video game esque, it became just this massive oak with like branches that like reach out in, in ways and like blocks your driveway and like knocks against your window when you're trying to sleep. And then fifth edition is like someone cut down that tree and turned it into a canoe. I love that. I love that image. Like whittled it down and it turned into this thing that can truly. Yeah, I love it so much. It can truly go anywhere. And it is still made out of that tree. But just because it's it become this like finer product that doesn't have as much of the weight as it was while it was growing for 30 years. And I love that because it's like, yeah, I want this canoe. I want this canoe and I want to go somewhere with it. Yeah. That reminds me of something that I I think you've said several times on the podcast that, you know, the great thing about D&D is you're given these rules. And I think it's referring to five specifically. You're given these rules, but once you have the rules and you know the rules, then you can break them. 
Exactly. And that's that's sort of one of my philosophies as any sort of creative person. I love having restrictions. and I love having rules because I think that that actually yields much greater creativity than if you're just like, well, here you go. You can do whatever you want. But then once you understand the rules, then you can break them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that kind of yields the, the most satisfying creative moments in my life. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, it's when uh, Amanda has spoken about how, how she started uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And her brother was super into RPGs and would play like every night or like every weekend in their basement. And she, she was like, yeah, like I never was invited to play. And I thought they were just like rolling Aww. dice. And every time they rolled a die, they just like decided what would happen next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that sounds so boring. I'm so glad that's not the game that we're playing. Nope. Me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah no, I had a sort of a similar experience um, because my my brother, my who is an older brother, he, he was really into RPGs and he was really into magic as well. I remember he played a lot mm. of magic. Um, oh and- my God. I could do a whole other episode about card playing games. Jeez. Oh yeah. But my brother, he was just super into like, you know, D and D video games, role playing games, card games, deck building games. And I didn't really get into it until college. And then since I've been with Winston, my now husband, uh, he's really really into board games specifically. And so we we play a ton of board games. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, I really want to play D&D again. So I'm going to have to find some peeps. Yeah. It's funny that you say that your brother was super into D&D and then you found it from a friend in college. I feel like when I talk to women who are into D&D now, they always say like, yeah, my older brother or my ex-boyfriend. It's always, it's never a current boyfriend. It's always an Mm. ex-boyfriend taught them about Dungeons and Dragons. That's interesting. Interesting. Right. And it's not to deny, I mean, women have been working on D&D and RPGs since like the 70s. I mean, one of the original like lands and modules called Greyhawk was like created by women. A lot of these first drawings were, were designed by women, but as like when it's like, we lost all of that or in like the dark ages of the eighties where like only ma- male nerds were allowed to exist. Yeah, no, totally. And now, now it's like all of these women are coming back to finding this game and be like, Oh, I can be whatever I want and I don't have to deal with anything. That sounds great. I have swords. Dope. Dope. <laughs> but yep. it's like they they're only allowed to find it from their um like this this first gen this first new generation of D&D players are only allowed to find it from like these dudes in their life and then they're teaching it to other people which I find awesome but it's also like man that's pretty telling isn't it Yeah and that reminds me a lot of again bringing it back to the wine industry there are more and more women sommeliers women in wine um you know, beverage directors, and mostly I would say winemakers um, is probably where women occupy the most space in the wine world. Mm -hmm. But so many of them do it because like their father was the winemaker and they took over the estate or their brother. And it's only now that you're starting to see some women who just like, you know, went to business school and then suddenly decided that they wanted to be a winemaker. So I think that's another little interesting connection there. But yeah. I think I think I think there are a lot of similarities between the two cultures and how they are 
growing and progressing. Absolutely. That's why yeah. I came on Pairing, the podcast where you talk about culture and wine. Yeah. Oh, my God. Drink it up. Pairing. Yeah. <laughs> That's our new tagline. You can have it. I mean, I'm on your podcast. Okay. Sweet. Everything yes. I say is legally yours. Trademark Eric Silver. It's true. Well, once you publish it, I can use it for fair use and it's mine. So it's it's cool. There we go. There we go. <laughs> So, Eric, can you talk – we've touched on this a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about, like, the actual content and, like, mechanisms of D&D? Sure. Okay. So, I guess the first thing you need to remember is that we are telling a story. Yes. Regard, like, this is a game, but it's, you know, it's a game in the way that, like – there was that game you would play like in summer camp where it was just like people asking each other emotional questions and everyone would cry at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. That's also like theater training. Yeah. A lot of the theater training that I went to ended up with just crying at the end. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't so know what that means. It's, <laughs> so it's more like that. Um, everyone gets this thing called a character sheet and uh, a character sheet pretty much just tells you what you are good at what you are bad at, and what what you own. So uh, what you're good at when you're, you're bad at comes down to f- six different stats. Okay. Uh, the first is strength, which is mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. Yep. Um, picking things up, but also, like, what your athletics are, like how fast are you at running, how good are you at using your body. Cool. In, like, a power – in a powerful way. Um, the second is dexterity, which – Again, self-explanatory is more about, like, your quickness. How lithe are you? How uh, easy it is for you to, like, sneak places or steal things or, like, use your hands, use your feet. Awesome. The third the third is uh, constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, constitution is kind of like the black sheep because it's only really used for, like, it's less, it's used more to, like, determine your HP, like, how many hits you can take. But really, it's, like, how hardy are you? Uh, uh-huh. I love using Constitution, like, if you drink poison or you drink beer, how good are you at drinking <laughs> yeah. that thing? If, uh, if for me, if, if I was drinking wine, my Constitution is very high for yeah. wine. But if it's any other kind of alcohol, it gets much lower, much faster. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I want to be more. I want to be more, <laughs> more specific about people's ability for comp. Yeah, yeah. That you can use that in your next, uh, next game. I will. I'll be like, roll, uh, roll a, a six-sided die, and whatever it is, I'm going to tell you what liquor you super like. Right. <laughs> That's very good. That's awesome. Uh, the, <laughs> um, this one usually comes at the bottom, but the last one is charisma. But I always think that pairs really nicely with constitution. Mm-hmm. So um, this is charisma is how good you are at talking to people. Yeah. Are you able to convince them of something? Are you able to put on a show? Are you able to intimidate them is also uh, one that I think about for charisma. Yeah. Uh, how are you able to use your voice? So constitution is how to use your body. Um, charisma is how to use your voice. Perfect. Love it. The last two are about your brains. So you have intelligence and you have wisdom. Uh, intelligence is your street smarts like or your adventuring smarts. Mm-hmm. If you are out and about, how are you able to determine your uh, what's going on with you? So intelligence might be investigation where you're going to look at something closely. It might be about nature. So y- your experience out in nature, uh, animal handling is <laughs> your ability to talk to dogs and pat them on the head. Very relevant to join the party. Exactly. Dogs are very important in our game. <laughs> very important. 
And then wisdom is like, what have you studied? Do you know things about medicine? Do you know things about magic? Do you know things about... Oh, insight is also in wisdom. So it's like, are you? how much do you know about people and their ability to lie? Which cool. is actually like a book learning idea, which I think is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. I like I like that. Yeah. It's like, how have you studied like how anthropology and like how humans and sociology and like how humans, not humans, but like people uh, do their thing, which I find interesting. So you are either uh, you assign a certain ability score to all of these things and then you're either good at them or bad at them. Uh-huh. And then when you roll the 20 sided die, which is our die of fate, which tells us whether or not you have done a thing good or bad. You add or subtract a modifier, which is tied to your ability at that thing. Cool. So let's say that you have um, like a 16 uh, to strength. And that means that you are pretty freaking strong. Yeah. So when you roll a 20-sided die to pick something up, you would add plus three, which is the modifier. It's in the it's in the handbook. But just trust me that uh, you would add plus three to your strength roll to determine because it's like fate will say how well or not well you did but your personal abilities but you have inherent abilities exactly cool and basically that dictates pretty much everything you do i mean it's a dnd is about telling a story but it's also about making choices as your character doing stuff having agency i mean a, a story will unfold around you but characters are only interesting when they make choices and they do stuff totally and kind of the more risks you take and the more choices that you have to make, the more interesting the story is. Yes. So everything kind of facilitates around that mechanic is like you roll a 20 sided die, you add your ability modifier if you're good or not good at this thing. And then you do and then you do it or you not do it. And mm-hmm. all of those things have consequences, which helps push the story forward. Love it because it's that's just how life works. Exactly. You make, you make choices and. It tells a story. And everything has consequences, even if you do, even if yep. you know it or yep. don't know it. I love it. And then so the other the other things like involved in creating a character sheet are you choose a race and a class, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, race and class kind of follow uh, traditional ideas of fantasy. The joke about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. is that they pretty much just ripped everything off from Lord of the Rings and then went from there. Yeah. But but I'm glad that it has gone like beyond that. For sure, but only after we like strip mined everything from Lord of the Rings first, and then tried to rename everything so that uh, the copyright so that they no one would know. It's such such a secret. Yeah, no. Winston and I talked about in because I I did a bunch of Lord of the Rings episodes. Yes. And um and we talk about how how like World of Warcraft and Warhammer and all these various different kinds of games took from Lord of the Rings. Now I love seeing how it's kind of like evolved again beyond that a little bit. Yeah, it's funny because all of those things took it took it from like the most recent Dungeons and Dragons edition, which I always find funny. That um, is really funny. The the thing that always stands out to me about that is like our idea of a barbarian has yes. stayed very static from yeah. like traditional fantasy ideas, like someone who goes into a rage or like a state, like a berserker state, and then just like can't be hurt and is muscle bound and usually barbaric, literally barbaric in the ways that we talk about them. Because right. that's like a very traditional fantasy idea and it never changed. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so your class is pretty much your your fantasy job and your race, (laughs) which is loaded in so many different ways. But your race is like the type of fantasy creature that you are. And you have certain pluses and minuses from being any of these people. Like you might have wings. You might have an ability to resist magic. Uh, You might be able to see in the dark, which is always a fun one for me. That's a good one. Race. I I wish there was a better name to call it than race. Yeah, I, I agree because it's like it's more like species. Definitely species. I Because it's not even – race also implies, like, all of the problems that fantasy has by, like, right. how everything about fantasy is really, like, a metaphor for something else. And it only, yeah. like, ties back into, like, ideas of, like, goodness and badness that are tied to your who you are as a person and, like, the color of your – literally the color of your skin, whether it is black or green or Purple. regular white yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like a whole that's a whole other thing. So what what I find fu- the the funniest thing that I find about it is that when, if you decide to play a human as like your species, <laughs> humans aren't like good at anything. Yeah, I know. Who would want to play a human? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's like it, it almost punishes the person who doesn't have any any imagination. So right. it's like I want to be me. It's like, well, you're kind of good at everything, but you don't have any special powers. I'm sorry to tell you. That kind of reminds me, I don't know why exactly I thought of this, but we played um, Dread a while ago. Oh, I love which Dread. Which is an awesome game, which for listeners who don't know what that is, it's kind of like D&D. It's like a, a very like pared down D&D, but instead of rolling, uh, like rolling dice, you use a Jenga tower. I love to it design. so much. It's so fun. And it's, and it's great because you can like play a full game in one sitting sometimes but we played a few years ago and winston dm'd and we asked a friend to come who like she she really like wasn't into it and she basically just copied my character that i had created and i was (laughs) like that's not how this works i guess just talking about like lack of imagination that's really funny yeah it was really funny i was very mad about it and then i like took a step back and got over it and i was like this is fine this will lead to like a different interesting story because she ended up making like all the different choices from me so even though we had like on paper very similar characters so (laughs) from a story perspective because dread is like a horror is supposed to be like a horror or like thriller yeah yeah so i like the idea like in a horror movie you just have like two of the same person (laughs) right (laughs) it's like i think we should go in the basement i also think we should go in the basement it would solve so many problems in (laughs) horror movies because they all come from people splitting up so (laughs) right we're both virgins i don't know what you're supposed to do with us we're both good girls and we both want to sleep with a protagonist don't kill me yet you have to wait we're not kissing anyone no sex no sex at all please Uh, oh that's so good good. so good um so uh the classes are really great uh i what i always loved about D is that as the game has shifted and changed there haven't been a lot of different classes yeah i've noticed that the job like your jobs or your abilities like are seat are very static there are let's see one two three four there are 12 classes and i feel like it's only like grown steadily and like we've only lost one over the course of the the way that the game has gone which one did we lose uh the mystic i think ooh okay which i think is a 3 5 thing or a 4 thing and is not in 5 anymore it feels like there are enough other characters that have mysticism as part of or other classes i should say that have mysticism as part of their job description if you will 
Yeah, exactly. I think what I like about D&D, especially in this new, in the fifth edition, is that there still are these ideas of archetypes, which you need to slot into, because it's like, you need to have the, in order to make the game work, or a story work, your character needs to be some sort of character that people are familiar with, so that you can tell a story. Right. But it's like, the choices that you make as a person or as you do the actual story can be against or for type and then because you are a complex three-dimensional person while you were in this game so it's like D provides the this is what we were talking about before it's like you need this concrete set of rules these concrete set of story ideas and then you can decide to break them or not break them because if it's interesting exactly yeah no i love that and again i'm just gonna keep singing the praises of join the party <laughs> i will be your bard, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, it's <was> terrible. <laughs> but I love that you, you know, like you've got a barbarian and a druid and a warlock to begin with. Oh, Anara is a Anara is a rogue. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant rogue, not druid. Uh, but they all do things that are both within what you would think of that archetype and very different yeah yeah we uh the characters um or the, the people who play our characters had thought we thought about that long and hard before we started the game sure like, tracy who is our uh warforged who is a big robot barbarian has a rage switch so he doesn't even have access to his own like class mechanic i love that i love that uh anara both as a as a teenager and as a queer person and as a rogue yeah is not or she's not fully formed so she doesn't really know what she's doing all the time sure sure and uh with johnny i mean warlocks are usually this like edge lord like dark like i will pray to cthulhu and he will kill everyone sort of thing right 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 and then johnny turned out to be this extremely positive like dad i love that <laughs> i love that daddy warlock yeah exactly <laughs> so we 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 thought really hard about the types of things that we were going to revel in or the things that we would cast aside um and it's truly been a lot of fun but it really shows how flexible these classes can really be and you are not your job um you don't have to be who you are within this job which i think is a thing that uh, i try to think about a lot and whenever i get the chance to be a character i think about the ways that people use your power use their powers as just like an extension of them as a person i think it always i always try to um whenever i make a character or i think about someone who's going to occupy my my world um, I try to think of their job and like what they're good at first before I fill in everything else because first of all that that tries to keep me away from preconceived notions of and stereotypes that I would lean on because that's boring but also like everything about everything about you or at everything that happens from people or comes from what they're good at and what they're not good at and that's what I always uh, like a place to start that's awesome I think that's a really great place to come from while storytelling world building character building etc it's a, it's a good time uh, I think it's really funny that you were a druid do you what did uh uh what did you remember from being a <sighs> oh druid oh my god I I I don't remember so much about it but i remember that i i forget if i like shape-shifted yes i forget if i actually did but i think i i think i had a, an animal companion i think i had like a a fox companion or something <sighs> like that it's really funny because the only the only thing i remember vividly from that from that campaign is we did a one-off 
one day because like a couple of the players couldn't come and so like we went into this dream sequence Mm -hmm. and i remember uh sean my dm like had me go to this essentially like planet of the apes in my dream (laughs) and (laughs) and and i think that like that was supposed to come back at one point but we we stopped playing um before it did which i was really bummed about um, because i wanted i wanted that to come back but yeah, I so the things that I kind of regret about that campaign is I had this idea again, like preconceived notion of what D and D was, and I felt like I created sort of an archetype and never really broke out of it. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I would be more able to recognize, okay, like no, it's okay not to do all the things that you would think you would do as an elf druid. But I like very much wanted to be like, you know, one of the elves from Lord of the Rings. And of course. you know, very like very stereotypical. But I think I started like like towards the end I started like understanding the game better. And only once I really felt like confident in it, we had to we had to stop playing because it was, I think it was my junior year of college, but everyone else who I was playing with were seniors, and so they all graduated. Oh no! I know it was very sad, but say la vie. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that I had a, a fox companion. That sounds yeah, that sounds about right. I yeah, my favorite thing about druids is that they can uh, shape shift. It's this thing called wild shape, as you might remember. Yes. And there's this one like so there are a lot of like subclasses within your class. Uh, so for Druid, there's one called the Circle of the Moon. Mm-hmm. And the Circle of the Moon means that you are better at turning into other animals than you are than other Druids. So Ooh. I always love it because I try to imagine the type of person who likes to be in animal form or has the ability to be an animal and like wouldn't necessarily want to be in their like bipedal form all the time yeah so i recently just played this character who is like a traveling salesman toward of uh of guy awesome and he loved being in his animal form and he always had a mask on when he was in his bipedal form instead he was he was a dwarf so it was like someone who felt freer as like a giant elk or or like a scorpion or a squid than they did like with their actual than with their like real face. Wow! Oh, that's so cool. I yeah, I'm like such a sucker. The the two classes that I really want to play as are um a circle of the moon druid and yeah um uh, I'm super into monks. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think they're super interesting. I was gonna say um if and when I play again, I think monk is definitely up there for me. And I kind of want to play as, like, a ranger or something like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that sounds super fun to me. Winston is always a bard. Uh, (laughs) I think there are bard people and there are monk people, and I am not a bard person. You're not a bard person. Winston absolutely 100% is a bard person in his, like, daily life. (laughs) <laughs> Can I give you a hot take about bards? Yeah, yeah, please do. Okay, and please, Winston, when you hear this, I'm sure that you are a, a lovely, charming person. He'll be okay. But I think <laughs> I think people who choose to play bards are cutting themselves off at the knees uh, when they are playing Dungeons and Dragons because when you play the bard, you're like, oh, I am so charismatic and lovely. I'm playing the bard because I get to like sing songs and seduce people. Yeah. But it's like you can do that as any other class and you don't have to have the power of music as your ability. It feels kind of weird. The bard feels the most specific to me. 
of all of the classes because it's like this is what you do and it is like tied up with playing music yes while with all of the other ones maybe with some exceptions because i don't i'm not as familiar um it feels like there's a lot more room for like why couldn't you be a wizard bard you know like why couldn't you be a, a wizard who who plays music or right. you know like so it, it is an interesting thing to me bard is the only one that comes with a job you're totally right I just think it's weird that you are, like, the most classically charismatic thing in a game that's, like, all about improv and, like, improvisational storytelling. Right. We already know you're a charismatic person. You're playing Dungeons & Dragons. Why are you Mary suing yourself into this so that you can play a fucking lute? Right. (laughs) So it's like, I would much rather – and it's not even, like – there are other ways to be charismatic. Uh, the thing that I always think about is that um, one of the species is a tiefling and you're a demon person. Yeah. But so you have like this inherent charisma because you are strange and imposing. Right. And right. so you automatically have plus two to charisma. So it's like you can be charismatic in a totally untraditional way. But Bard's like, nah, man, this is Wonderwall. And then like, fuck a barmaid. Like, I can't, I I can't with it. Which, which I guess like... The challenge would be to play a bard and not fall into that stereotype. Yeah. Um, which I'm not exactly sure how that would work, but there there are a few different types, like subclasses of bard mm-hmm. that are more like the other thing about what you were saying about bards being a job is like it's very much tied to like college bard colleges. Hmm. It's like it's very much a profession, um, which always is weird because then you are like locking yourself into this like trade which is always difficult so there are some of these bard colleges that like teaches you how to be sneaky or like teaches you how to be like a charismatic hero instead like someone who traditionally is a fighter the only thing there's like a there's like a swashbuckler so you're like inherently a pirate which i think is pretty funny that is pretty cool (laughs) but it's like it 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 definitely locks you into something that i don't think does you any favors as a dungeon dragon player no that's totally fair that's totally totally fair yeah but uh, winston can tell me I'm wrong, but you know, tell him that he tell me he should be he should try being a monk instead. Yeah, I'll tell him. He also, I'm not sure if he's ever played a full campaign of D and D. He's mm-hmm. most he mostly like has come in as a guest player to a few. And well, I'm mostly thinking of we we also love this game called Eldritch Horror. Yeah, and there's a character in that who Winston fondly calls a uh, black jazz wizard. Um, because he's like he's like an African American like trumpet player from the 30s. Oh my god! And he's actually pretty awesome. So after Winston and I played Eldritch Horror one time, Winston wrote a little short story from the perspective of Jim Culver, aka Black Jazz Wizard, defeating Cthulhu, the daughter of Cthulhu, based on how things transpired in that game that we played. It's pretty amazing, and he recorded it as an audio extra for our Patreon, so definitely go check that out. But I guess when, when he just tends to go for like the, the musically inclined character. But I, I would be curious, I don't think he's ever played like a full campaign as a bard. I'll ask him, and I'll, I'll, I'll report back. Yes, please do. I will. So I checked with Winston, and he has never actually played as a bard in D&D, he claims. When he has guested or done one-offs, he has mostly played as a ranger, though he has played bard-like characters in board games and video games, and generally supports them and the people who play them. 
Also, fucking Quoth was a bard, and I always thought that was stupid. Oh, yeah, that is that is kind it of It was stupid. like, not only is a hero, he's, like, super good at jazzing on the loot. Right, right. I'm like, all right, dog. <laughs> Come on. It's like, oh, he's so, he's, he's so talented. That's why he's, he's a so hero. He's so dreamy. He can make money for his art. That's so strange. Yes, many problems with Name of the Wind. Yeah, many, many, many. The only thing that I would say, and this is what I was saying before, is that, um... The Kingkiller Chronicles have a really fluid way of world building. Yes. That it's like you, you're you in this city, and the city does exactly what you need it to do. So I was thinking about um, – so for people who haven't read this, which you don't have to, I promise. But it's like at one point, it's basically like this guy is telling the stories of his own exploits. And when he was a kid, he got enough money to go to this like very prestigious university. Mm-hmm. And the university is close to like this bustling, like basically next to this college town. Yeah. Um, and the college town is like say much in the way that Hogsmeade is to Hogwarts. It's um this I can't remember the name of the town. I literally just looked this up because I'm like, what's the name of that town? So it's like across the river from the university. Right. But the univ- the the city itself has everything that Quoth might need. He it has like all of these shops. It has all this like rich part of town where he can get into trouble with. It has like different types of inns to like demonstrate like the economic disparity between poor people and rich people. And it also has this like magical heralded bard bar <laughs> where he can like jazz where he can like jazz down. Oh, it's called Imri. Thank you, Amanda, oh, yeah. for looking that yep. up. Thank you, Amanda. So it has it has this like amazing like it's like a jazz bar, but it's for bards where like people can get on stage. So it becomes this like this conflict that he needs to enter himself into to like move the story forward so that he himself can like become more heroic and like do heroic things that are unexpected of him. But I'm like, damn, what a good idea putting in a bard bar that has a contest into into your world right. to further your story. Like it's so seamless that you don't remember that this thing which is ridiculous and out of nowhere is like very integral to the plot yeah absolutely no i think there there are a lot of really cool storytelling elements in name of the wind like Mm -hmm. i would say it's worth reading if you're at all interested in fantasy storytelling just to see like how he does it yeah definitely but uh, i agree i i know a lot of people who are just like totally nuts for it and i i don't quite get it i like i enjoyed the books very much um but i didn't think they were like particularly groundbreaking yeah it's true (laughs) cool well i guess i just had maybe a couple last questions for you yeah hit me so you have been both a dm and a player and i'm curious about I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but do you have a preference for one or the other? Are they, you know, different but equal? Ooh, that's a good question. What your what your experience is with those two ends of it? I would say that I think I like being a DM more because cool. I like not necessarily having control over the story, but I like setting up. I like setting the table, and I like being able to put things on the table. That I didn't think of before, but which is like in it, like while it's happening, I can like flesh out the world in real time. Yeah. Um, my some of my favorite jokes that I like to make on Join the Party are just like in general, which is like inhabiting these wacky characters that like come out of nowhere. 
Um, and but I, I I think that for any dungeon master you have in your life, you need to let them be a player mm-hmm. so that because I forgot about things that I didn't let my players do or like things that bothered me while I was DMing because I'm like you like you you forget. It's very different. It's like you're a player and a referee. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't get your feet wet, you just kind of forget what it's like to be a player again. So I recently got to be a player when I was playing that that druid guy. And I'm like, man, I, I feel like I, I forgot how luxurious this is just to, like, ask questions and make choices and make jokes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. To, to me, what I sort of equate it to, this isn't a wine thing, but my, my other my other side passion career whatever um in theater to me is very similar to the dynamic between a director and an actor or being a director and being an actor like there are people who do both and a lot of people say you know if you want to be a director you should act first like so that you know what goes into that and that will make you a better director just like i think you know, being a player and, and, and knowing what it is to be a player makes you a better DM. I don't know, maybe. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. And yeah, and then there are people who are like more suited to directing or DMing. And then there are some who are more suited to acting and uh, playing, which doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing if you do both. You know, like you can be a director and prefer to be a player in Dungeon and Dragon. I don't know. That's just one thing. That's just one thing that I thought about. No, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think in the way that D and D ties with acting is mm-hmm. like, I don't necessarily want only actors to be in my Dungeon and Dragons game. That would be miserable. <laughs> Sorry. I no, say that I, as an actor. <laughs> that's totally true. But it's like, this is, it's like an improv, this is an improv thing. So you yeah. have people who have experience like coming up with stuff just on the, from the jump. On the spot. But yeah. I, th- I think that a tendency with some Dungeons and Dragons game, when it's like, you're getting all of these quasi famous people together and like, oh, you're famous because you were in movies and all this stuff. I think it like, it hurts the diver literally the diversity that you have in the room yeah. when everyone is the same job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that was just, that's the thing I think about sometimes. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, no, it's it's nice to have all sorts of different people, not just different, you know, identities, but different like jobs mm-hmm. in the room. Which I guess is part of an identity. But anyway, also, okay, I have one last wine thing to end on. Um yeah, do which it. is that I was trying to think of, and this I think would be too much. I was trying to think of like different wines to pair with different races and classes or <laughs> species and classes, which I think would be a little a little too much. Um, I, I could maybe do it, but the one the one like immediate connection that came to mind, um, again talking about monks, there is a wine region in France called Chablis, which is mm-hmm. in Burgundy. It's the north of Burgundy, and it's. They make pretty much only white wine there and pretty much only made from Chardonnay. But the history of Chablis is that it was owned and curated and harvested by Cistercian monks. So, hey. uh, yeah, there you go. So I think that uh, monks would definitely drink Chablis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those monks getting getting turned on their own supply. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totes. That, so that, that sounds about right. Their constitution uh, for, for Chardonnay is really high. <laughs> i like it yeah yeah there we go but back to you back to you any any last thoughts anything uh we've talked a lot about join the party obviously but if there's anything else you want to plug 
Yeah, um, so I'm the Dungeon Master of Join the Party. I am also the co-host of Horse, which is a basketball podcast uh, that is about everything except for the wins and losses. Uh, We talk about internet beefs. We talk about um, drama. We talk about history. Uh, So basketball, I love games in all different types of ways, and basketball is one of the games that I like. Uh, Much like Enjoying the Party, even if you don't know anything about basketball, we think that it would be a great show for you to check out. Totally. I'm not I'm not a huge basketball fan. I've dabbled, but uh but I, I love horse. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, there is thing thank you. There is just so much that goes on in this like culture and institution of basketball in the United States, like just fuels so much hilarity between like people trying to negotiate like their million dollar deals and like the fact that there are these people who like are so athletic for a living and are like privileged of that but like who they are as people is what like distinguishes them and i think that that's uh it's really interesting and uh i think people might like that totally i highly recommend it yeah (laughs) thank you uh and you can find me on twitter at uh l l underscore silvero e l underscore s-i-l-v-e-r-o that's my name if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm always, I always want to be on people's podcasts and I want to write for your outlets. So just email me and hit me up and all that good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on Pairing. Thank you. I learned so much about sommelier Well, and I learned a lot about D&D. So oh, nice. There good. we go. We accomplished the podcast. Slurp it up. Dungeons and Dragons and Wine also has tannins. Yeah. <laughs> You've come up with so many great taglines for my show. Dungeons and Dragons and Wine, they are grapes. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Pairing was created, produced, hosted, and edited by Emma Sherjarko with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please check out the show notes. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, read, drink, and be merry.